It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Thank you. Thank you. Well, well this is... This is it, folks. Thank you, everybody, for coming out so early this morning. In only a couple of hours, I will be in Balmoral to see Her Majesty the Queen. And the torch will finally be passed to a new Conservative leader. The baton will be handed over in what has unexpectedly turned out to be a relay race. They changed the rules halfway through, but never mind that now. And through that lacquered black door, a new Prime Minister will shortly go to meet a fantastic group of public servants. The people who got Brexit done. The people who delivered the fastest vaccine rollout in Europe and never forget. 70% of the entire population got a dose within six months faster than any comparable country. That is government for you. That's this Conservative government. All right, Sandy Rios with you. That's the voice of Boris Johnson. The Prime Minister of England, not so much anymore, just stepping down, making that speech recently. Uh, and it's just struck me that at the end of it, he gave the very reason why he is stepping down. You know, Boris Johnson came into office with such great promise. It was Brexit, uh, and there was just a lot of fanfare, and we were excited. He barely won that race. And the turning point was his policies on COVID. Anyone remember that? shutting everything down, doing ridiculous things, then breaking the rules himself, causing Scotland and England and Wales and all of these countries to suffer just as Americans has suffered in these shutdowns. And so in a twist of irony, he boasts about his COVID uh, plans. Well, of course, this was something that happened all over the globe. Everything was shut down. We had people uh, dying all over the place, people forced to take the vaccine. We have, I could play a whole show of um, leaders all over the world threatening their people if they didn't take the shots, including our own Joe Biden. And now we have uh, a little bit of knowledge about what that was all about. It's a very complex, it's a global issue, it's a very personal issue. Every single person listening to me experienced some form. You either, either embraced the restrictions or you fought against them or you were somewhere in between. Uh, and now we ask ourselves, what was this all about? And more importantly, is this over? And so I can't think of anyone better to discuss this with than my friend Daniel Horowitz. Daniel is the senior editor of The Blaze. He's the co-founder of Conservative Review. He also hosts a nationally syndicated podcast, The Conservative Review. He's the author of another book, Stolen Sovereignty, How to Stop Unelected Judges from Transforming America. One of the things about Daniel that you, uh, he hasn't been my guest in a long time because he's so busy with his own endeavors, but Daniel is uh, has a, a mind that's really able to comprehend the details, uh, the, the scope and the depth of this, like in this issue and other issues, but he's given his great mind now to this new 
offering. It's a book called The Rise of the Fourth Reich. He's written it with Steve Deese, who also is well acquainted. Well, you're well aware in this audience of who Steve is. He's from Iowa. Uh, he's a great talk show host and also a great thinker. So they've written this book together. It's called The Rise of the Fourth Reich. And before I let Daniel talk, I just want to read something that they wrote themselves in the acknowledgments. They say, For in a time of lies and deception, nothing is more dangerous than telling the truth. Fighting the spirit of the age does not always win friends, wealth, or fame. And it can even wear down a man's resolve to stand by the right causes and finish the race. Faith in God is what has sustained us through the endless emotional investment in the future of our country. And uh, with that, I want to welcome Daniel. Good morning, Daniel. Thanks for joining us. Hey, it's great to be with you. It's been way too long. It has been. I know. You've been too busy, but I'm I'm so proud of you, Daniel. I'm, I'm very grateful for the, the, the platform that God has given you. So I, I always feel if I call you, I'm hindering you from your mission. So it's great to have you this morning, though. But let me, let me ask you right now. The, the, people will say, you know they will, that this is an incredibly inflammatory title. The Rise of the Fourth Reich, you're talking about what's happened with these COVID mandates this last, uh, what, three years now probably. Um, why Don't you think that title is a bit of an exaggeration? Sure, and, and, and that's, that's definitely a fair question, although I will say a couple of days ago, Biden's speech, if you look at the color scheme, it is literally the cover of the book. So if you go to trialsandexecution.com, which is where we have the first chapter available, and you could order uh, the, pre-order the book um, in its entirety there, you will see that black and red cover matching exactly with Biden's speech. But on a more serious note, you know, it is truly shocking how both parties want to walk away from the last two and a half years as if nothing happened while it's still going on. What we prove in this book, and we have a list of witnesses as uh, reflective of what we should be pursuing in terms of at least the hearing, but really a trial, um, as to who created this virus, why, how did they have planned to do all the wrong things, to block treatment. I will tell you, Sandy, that if you look at the death toll from the vaccines, and we prove this, you look at the death toll from the lockdown, the death toll from the denial of treatment, and yes, the death toll from the gain-of-function research that they pursued in the first place. It is in the tens of millions throughout the world. It's in several million in the United States. Um, so it does deserve that. But more aptly, it's not a matter of comparing this to Auschwitz. We have a title in there. One of our witnesses is a Holocaust survivor who connects the dots from the Third Reich to the Fourth Reich. It's not, Auschwitz didn't begin with Auschwitz. We call it the Third Reich. And one of the things that a lot of people forget is that the lead ship in the Armada of the 1930s, of that genocide, was this medical nationalism, this scientism, that all rights of the individual, all humanity goes out the window if they can assert that your existence is a threat to us, just, just existing, um, unless you do something or be something that we say you must be, that is why doctors and scientists join the Third Reich in a greater proportion, more uh, quicker than, than almost anyone else. Now we have global, global scientism. That's not better, that's worse than nationalism, right? Because you can't escape it. That's the Fourth Reich, is, it's global, it's public-private partnership, as we've now seen. They work together with big tech, all the industries seamlessly, and then the technology to enforce it, to surveil 
that, that we all walk through a door now. Um, they're doing this in Germany, but really they have this plan for us. Red and green uh, codes, lights, uh, blink, as if you're a bag of lettuce in a grocery store. Hey, did you join the Reich? Okay, you're good to go. Um, at least the yellow star was low technology. Here you cannot escape it. So we believe the once you read the book, you'll see that the comparison is very apt. Well, just to support your position, Daniel, I just read a quote by Dr. Pierre Corey, and of course, Dr. Corey is came to fame because he spoke out. He was one of the few, and we'll talk about that in a second, uh, one of the few who spoke out courageously and did all of these podcasts. And kept, uh, Ron Johnson, I think, is the one who gave him uh, the platform initially. He's just been fearless. And he recently tweeted, you know, when will anyone ever call this out for what it is? It's a holocaust. Uh, and then, uh, and I'm going to actually play the clip a little bit later that he shared with us about that from a funeral home director in Tasmania, talking about the amount of deaths, that, uh, the death rate that had gone up by 50% in his experience. But um, so that's just one affirmation, but we will we'll let you make your case. Now, before we go on, though, I, I think we are wrong to assume that you know it's a younger audience, Daniel. You also know that the education system has made it impossible for people, even starting in the 70s, to really learn very much about history. Uh, the Nuremberg trials are very close to me because I lived in Berlin a uh, number of years ago and, of course, have been to that stadium and know a lot about Nazism. Uh, I grew up learning that. Uh, my father was in World War II. But the Nuremberg trials uh, were um, a world event. It was a function, I believe, the UN, wasn't it, Daniel? Yes, yes. It was in part a function of the UN. It was orchestrated by... Uh, American generals and, and doctors and lawyers and scientists. Um, but, but the key here, is, Sandy, what we focus on mainly is not so much the main trial, but the auxiliary trial. It was the doctor's trial. We're coming up on the 75th anniversary, I believe, in December. It was uh, December 1947. And it, it will be 75 years. Why did they have a separate trial for the doctors? Interesting. I didn't know and that. the reason is, yes. Yes, that that is the that it was from there that the Nuremberg Code arose, and that's that's the subtitle: confronting COVID fascism with a new Nuremberg Code, a new Nuremberg trial, so that this never happens again. It, it was we didn't need a separate trial that you don't strap someone down in a concentration camp and torture them. That's part of the main kind of final solution to the main people that they uh, convicted at the original Nuremberg trial, the doctors' trial was to really put on trial the 1930s and before then, and not just Germany, but we had some dark elements in our past that, frankly, the defendants of the trial did bring up. And that is that, you know, sometimes we feel we have certain uh, good outcomes, good rationales to experiment on human beings. And they wanted to put in place a code to demonstrate this can never happen again it wasn't just directed at Auschwitz or the ovens and things like that, but the scientism, how the goals of science will reign supreme over individual human rights. And now, obviously, what we had in this era wasn't even any real science. It was the opposite of it. We got nothing out of it negative. There was nothing legitimate uh, to it. But, but that is what people forget, the violation of the number code. And this is why... It's not just a data book. As you well know, Steve and I have produced several hundred columns and, and, and you know, our daily podcasts and shows for two and a half years going through that. It's witnesses, victims, people who had loved ones in the hospital, 
and they blatantly killed them. Inexplicably, it just makes no sense. Everything they would do, even a first grader knows you don't do that to someone in respiratory distress. And the things that you should do, they, they, they would fight to the bitter end. They'd take them to court. Why? Why? And this is still going on to this very day. And this, none of this has been rectified. Yeah, Daniel, let me just interject some f- a philosophical thing which is important. The Nuremberg trials uh, were a reckoning of the horrific events of the Nazi regime. They were a reckoning by a world that was still sane, that had Judeo-Christian values for the most part. Even Germany had some of those. Uh, and it was an establishment of that line over which you do not cross. And I want to add as a subtext to this, when I was in Cambodia, and I've said this on the air before, forgive me for repeating those of you who've heard me, what happened in Cambodia in the killing fields and uh, the S-21 prison, uh, according to Cambodians that I interviewed and talked to, there was never a reckoning. And so Cambodians are in a were by self-described state of confusion and things had never been settled. They're living next door to people that actually killed and tortured their family members. There is a need for justice. There is a need for reckoning. It brings sanity. So what you're calling for, Daniel, is a reckoning, a reckoning to bring sanity back to the world, not just, unfortunately, not just the United States, but to the whole world. Is that a safe assumption? That is exactly what it is. And, and, and we would need that even if this was completely over with. But it's not. They have not ruled out any of these things again. To this day, they still have the mandates on the military, on the healthcare workers, on other people. Yeah. Masking is still done in doctor's offices when it is illogical, illegal, inhumane, and immoral. All of this stuff, what we know about these pro-inflammatory bioweapon shots. It is unreal. The more things come out about them, the more that they push it even more. All right, they Daniel, have 15 more mRNAs coming down the pipeline. This hold that thought. Hold, hold, it needs to be stopped. Hold that thought because we're going to come back in just a second. The book is called The Rise of the Fourth Reich. Daniel Horowitz and Steve Deese are the authors. Uh, and you can get the book at trialsandexecution.com. Is that right? Trialsandexecution.com? That is correct. Okay. All right. Just want to make sure we got it right. So when we come back, let's lay out the case because that's what you do in your book. So let's just start on that path when we return. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. It's easy to criticize, but they're really criticizing science. You're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. I'm the bad guy to an entire subset of people because I represent something that is uncomfortable for them. It's called the truth. Yes, maybe not so much. Actually, this new book is uh, dedicated to the truth. And the new book I'm talking about is The Rise of the Fourth Reich. It's confirming, uh, confronting covid fascism with a new Nuremberg code so that it never happens again. And so uh, the parallel, of course, is that the Nuremberg trials of the Nazis for all the atrocities that they did to the Jews and other people too. Uh, And so there needs to be a reckoning. That's the point of this book. Daniel, in your book now, you start, you bring, you kind of lay out a trial so let's just do as much as we can. We can't cover everything. But, um, boy, you talk about uh, military betrayal. That's one of your first sections, which 
I have to tell you, this is one that has just, I've, had, I've heard from so many listeners who are in the military who have the saddest stories to tell me about things that have happened to them. I've been in conferences speaking when they've come up to me and talk about the side effects they're having from the, the COVID shot uh, and begging for help. And I've been unable to help them because I can't get Congress people, I can't get senators or congressmen, nope. with very few exceptions, to do anything to protect them. So let's talk about, tell me, out of the choices that you have here, just tell us what you have in this chapter of, as witnesses and what they had to say, in a nutshell. So we, we, we have three people in the military. One just got out of it, so he was able to speak a little bit more loosely. Uh, the others probably will be out pretty soon. Um, it is truly shocking what went on there. You have to remember that everyone knows in the world that the military is the prized possession of the United States government. And they all knew that if they would not give it to their military, then it would be the death knell for the shot. So they had to shove it on the service members more than anyone else. And we chronicle from doctors in the military, um, and it's all on the record, it's all on the record, how you would have, for example, people who would get myocarditis after the first, first shot, they would deny the exemption for the second shot. They would have military pilots fly after getting heart damage. I mean, when, when the restrictions are usually really stringent, you can't even have like a Red Bull or certain drinks and, you know, even maybe Sudafed uh, after, after uh, you know, b- before flying. And no matter what, they didn't care. They wouldn't report. They wouldn't look at um, any, any evidence of, of uh, increased injury. When the uh, evidence came out, they... They uh, ignored it. They tampered with their own reporting system. There is a lot there to unpack, but when you read it, you will come away with certitude that this wasn't some sort of helter-skelter response that they were just scared of the virus and they kind of rushed into it. No, this was pre-planned. They knew what it caused. They didn't care, or perhaps that was the purpose. Because one of the underlying themes of this book is this. And speaking of the military, often you have to make warlike decisions. And, and we heard that analogy early on in COVID, warlike decisions. Well, a warlike decision usually means something that is a one-off and it's irrevocable. So that 30-minute period on the battlefield, I had to decide to position this division and this place rather than that one, and that's going to determine who lives and who dies very quickly. In this case, whether it was the lockdowns, whether it was the school shutdowns, whether it was the mask mandates, and whether it was the shots, Every day was a new day. It wasn't irrevocable. They could have woken up the next day and looked at the data, looked at the information in front of their eyes, and, and chosen to back off, to back off. It was abundantly clear every day. And the more it became clear that what they were doing was counter to science, was immoral, unethical, it had all pain and no gain, didn't make any sense, the more they doubled down on it. So... That's how we prove, one of the many ways we prove, this wasn't just malpractice, this was malfeasance. You know, isn't Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long, isn't she the one who talks about, uh, they, they actually had their own separate research, the military has a separate record keeping of the damage done to members of the military from this shot. And, and so what can you just, in a nutshell, tell us about that, uh, uh, Daniel? So that's a DMED system, the Defense Medical Epidemiologist, epidemiological database, um, remember, when, you, when you're talking about active duty service members, they're, they're largely very healthy because if they're not, they're not going to be active duty. 
So if you suddenly have certain trends that arise among the service members, you need to know that very quickly. You know, were they exposed to something, some sort of chemical, something downrange? And this is very important. This is not just a medical thing. This is national security. So they have this epidemiological system. And she was the first to point out that it was just going bonkers starting in the middle of 2021 with cancers, with neurological uh, uh, reporting. These are um, billing codes, billing codes in the military for, to, to, to build TRICARE for uh, services rendered for you know, in, inpatient, outpatient, mainly outpatient appointments, but it was both uh, cardiac and everything um, it w- just went bonkers. And it wasn't just that one day she decided to look at the DMED system. It was reflective of what, what she was seeing clinically. Um, the doctors would tell me, you know, you would see cancers once in a blue moon. Because remember, you're talking about a very defined population. In the general population, it's, without doing a study, it's kind of anecdotal. It's hard to tell. Am I seeing more heart ailments? Am I seeing more cancers? But when you have a population that's mainly people in their 20s, um, that are particularly healthy because they're screened out, and suddenly you're getting blood clots and pulmonary emboli and um, myocarditis, myocardopathy, and all these neurological disorders, and then cancers that are very sudden and metastatic, well, there's something funny going on there that's unmistakable. So she saw that, and this is what she chronicles, and it was ignored, covered up, and they would also make sure that nobody could ever get the proper diagnostics. So, for example, and and, and since I've written that chapter, it turns out that a number of studies have come out on this. There's something called subclinical myocarditis. So you might not pick it up on an EKG or a stress test, an echo. Um, You know, it might come back normal. But a cardiac MRI will show there's already scarring on the tissue of the heart. Now, cardiac MRIs are very expensive. She would order them, and they refused to do them. And now we found out that there's almost a 60-to-1 ratio of subclinical versus clinical myocarditis, meaning it's latent, it's hanging out in there, and there's a strong theory that a lot, all these people dropping dead suddenly, and the reason why it started with the athletes first, and remember, uh, the military, they're like athletes, and that's why they were seeing this, is because... If you have subclinical myocarditis, but you don't have the right warnings and diagnostics to seek it out, and you just go along with your lifestyle, and especially if you're very into cardio and you do a lot of uh, workouts, you're an athlete, you're in the military doing training, at some point that could go from zero to 100 very quickly. So you have, yeah, it just makes me sick even to hear you say it, even though I know it. So you have three different uh people that you would bring into this trial, the, the mock trial, the, the Nuremberg trial docket, uh, and then you talk about healthcare betrayal, and you've got so many choices here. Just give us an idea of what people you would call for this trial and what they would have to say. Like, um, like Scott Miller, you say he was sanctioned for saving lives. What was the story there? Sure, sure. This is an unbelievable story. It's riveting. How? See, see here's the thing. If COVID was really just an accident and they kind of responded stupidly to it, naively, even harmful, but it wasn't Nuremberg level, you would have expected, right, that COVID is everything. We're going to mask a two-year-old because of COVID. We're going to lock down everyone. We're going to you know, make it that you can't go to funerals for a few months. 
because of COVID. Man, we're so worried about COVID. Well, if you have doctors that want to come and treat COVID, wow, you would really zealously support them, right? I mean, you'd be very into treating it. Oh, my gosh. Sandy, you just tested positive for COVID. Don't wait a second. Let's get all sorts of anti-inflammatories. Let's get the nebulizer ready. Let's get the anticoagulants ready to prevent microclotting. But nothing. They refused to treat it. And then when doctors started treating it, they would viciously go after them. So this is actually a physician's assistant who is brilliant. He studied every last therapeutic you could imagine. He understood the pathophysiology of the virus. And he, thanks to his work, he saved thousands of people in Washington State. And eventually people would call him, you know, that didn't come to an outpatient. Families would call, call him when they had loved ones in the hospital and they were scared they were being killed there. And he would fight with the, the doctors a little bit. And then that's how they outed him, took him to the board, uh, the licensing board, and they suspended his license. Could you imagine that? Uh, nothing he did was, you know, everything he prescribed was fully FDA approved. Whereas what they were pushing was all emergency use. Um, well, it's very no- problematic, like remdesivir. Um, <sighs> remdesivir was known to be toxic from day one to this day. They're still using it. So we have doctors. We have nurses. We have um, victims who lost loved ones and lawyers who were involved in the legal battle to demonstrate how they would knowingly, knowingly push treatment protocols that were antithetical to science while viciously blocking things that even if you weren't so into them, they certainly were harmless. They would take the families to court to block it. Um, The stuff they would do, the medical kidnapping, um, the forced ventilation, the, the, the um, sedating people with drugs that were contraindicated. And, th- and, and these weren't one-off stories. We chose ones that were reflective of thousands of instances. Um, you know, this is just, it is, it is so shocking how we could just walk away as if nothing happened when this is the attitude of the medical profession to yes, this it- very day, and it's going to grow legs. Well, and the thing of it is, too, Daniel, it's changed. Uh, it's certainly changed for me my trust in doctors. I just, uh, no, I was, I'm now pretty seasoned. I had a very sick. Uh, my first child was very sick. I spent a lot of my early adult life in the hospital with her, so I, I was already pretty practical about uh, not everyone is good, you know. But I, it, it just has undermined confidence, and I, you know, I nearly lost my husband in this whole mess with COVID pneumonia, yep. and if I had not fought. Like crazy, he would be a dead man. And I just read in Epoch Times a chilling story about a couple in Oregon, a young guy, so yeah. vital. They show a picture of him, and he, the wife, he got sick. They put him in the hospital, and they shut him off from her. He could only text her. Uh, they stopped feeding him and giving him nutrition, Daniel. And when he finally died, it's a long story, when he finally did die, and they lied to her about what was happening— uh, it, when they were leaving the hospital, the wife and the, her children, they the staff yelled at them, "You need to get your vac. You need to get vaccinated." He wasn't vaccinated, <laughs> so they didn't give him nutrition or treatment. They killed him. Yeah. And that's what we chronicle in the book. To be fair, they killed people whether they were vaccinated or not. That's but, true. But we did record that sentiment that if, if they thought, and sometimes wrongly so, by the way, that you didn't get the shot. You deserved to die, That's and right. they would make it happen. See, this is the analogy of the Fourth Reich. It's not just the level of the people that orchestrated. 
obviously not every doctor and hospital chief of staff in all 50 states orchestrated this, but how they went along with it. And, and that's what people always ask about. How could everyone have gone along with this in Germany in the mid-20th century, Western Europe? And this is the thing with the medical profession, not all of them, but most of them. They went along with this mentality. They would starve people. And I, I, I just saw that story last week, too, and it's very reflective of what we talked about in the book. That pattern repeated itself everywhere. They would, so, so you have someone in their 50s, 60s, pretty good health, come in, and they didn't get proper early treatment, which would have avoided hospitalization. All right, fine. You, get, you have some you know, COVID pneumonia. Um, your, your blood oxygen level is dropping. We're not talking about 95-year-olds. You shouldn't come out of that hospital in a coffin, okay? Meaning it's a question. You can be there two days, five days, maybe a week, but you should come out. And it was the same theme that they'd get, initially get non-invasive oxygen, and they were doing better. But then suddenly they would take a turn for worse. They weren't feeding them. They'd kick the family out of the hospital. It was always at night. They'd want to they'd pressure them from the minute they got in the door for a ventilator, which was weird. Like, a ventilator, everyone understands, is like, you know, that's the last ditch. It's last resort. I don't that's have right. exact statistics, but let's say 80% death rate. I mean, that ain't good. So you're, you're going to really want to wait till the very end. They would, they would do it with people that were still statting in the 90s. Their blood oxygen level was still in the 90s. It was bizarre. You know, you might think maybe they'll drop, but you don't prejudge that. And then they were pushing them from day one, and they would obviously refuse. And then suddenly a couple days later, usually at night, they'd say, he took a turn for a worse. We had to put him on a ventilator. Again, all the while, they banned nebulizers, which is so key to getting that, you know, um, nebulized budesonide, steroid, topical steroid on the lungs, all the anti-inflammatories, all the supplements. And then they would starve them, which was just bizarre. Um, give them sedatives which, and, and opioids, which, as you well know, those two are the worst things you want to do with someone in respiratory distress. Now, you might feel okay then. You lie someone down flat on their back, which they often did, um, and give them opioids and sedatives, they might feel comfortable for the time being as they waste away. Um, you got to get them moving. You give them the anti-inflammatory, you yes. get them moving, you work with the respiratory therapy. None of that. None of yeah. that. Yes. This is right. first grade stuff. This is right. ABCs. Why yeah. didn't they do it? All right, so this is part two, then, of the Nuremberg trial docket, this new Nuremberg trial for this Fourth Reich. Uh, and it's the medical part, and they have they have the stories of lots of different doctors and medical personnel here uh, in this book called The Rise of the Fourth Reich. My guest is Daniel Horowitz. And Daniel, when we come back, just to touch on why, after all of what you've read, why you think doctors and hospitals went along with that. And then we're going to uh, make the, the uh, transition to some of the other points that you make in this. The book, again, is called The Rise of the Fourth Reich. You can get it at trialsandexecution.com, trialsandexecution.com. I'll be right back after this. Sandy Rios in the morning, AFR Talk. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at sandy at AFR.net. That's sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Reason we talk, wanted to talk to you is I think your partner said 
You used to do two to three funerals a week, now you're doing about six to seven, is that correct? Yes, well, been that busy, Michael, the last little while, even this morning, I didn't know you were coming to town, but this morning, um, I counted the numbers in the book, you know, for the past six months, and exactly, almost exactly, we're up in the last six months by 50%, um, so that's, that's why we've been so busy, and uh, I was very concerned because on Tuesday of this week, a very, very special school friend who I sat next to for five years. We had his funeral service on Tuesday. He was born in 1955. I'm seeing lots of people dying that are born in the 60s uh, and beyond. So it's not just the elderly. And, it's, and when you feel that something's not quite right, you'll see a death notice. We may not be the funeral directors. But I think, hang on, that person is a, normally a super fit person. And I've had a few instances happen in the last six months where it has been quite startling that they would actually pass away. How are they passing away? Is it like slow or quick? Or what, are they, what are they dying of? Well, it seems that some are dying in their sleep. Uh, there's been two or three that I know that have had... Um, this is not necessarily my funeral company, but there's this particular one I was thinking of, the super fit person. She died of a, a brain aneurysm, and I've noticed there's been two or three of those around the, the northern part of Tasmania. So there's something that's not, hap- not quite right. It just doesn't feel right to me, and I, I just can't put my finger on it right now. But it, it seems to have happened very suddenly because you can imagine um, we, we need to pre-plan with, with sort of staffing, um, with our premises. And it's only been the last, say, seven months. Uh, the previous 10, 10 and a quarter years were very, very consistent. But this has been a rapid rise in the last six to seven months. So um, we are, we're, we're quite concerned. All right, that's a funeral director from Tasmania. That was tweeted by Dr. Pierre Curry, who calls this what's happening right now a Holocaust. He says, when will people start talking about this? When will anything be done about it? And that's what uh, Daniel Horowitz, my guest, and also Steve Dace, who is the co-author of this book, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, confronting COVID fascism with a new Nuremberg trial. So this never happens Again, and you can pre-order this book at trialsandexecution.com. But to this, to the point he just made, Daniel, before we go back into the substance of your book and the, the trial you've laid out that you'd like to see happen, um, this is not over. There are deaths occurring now. Can you just speak to that? Do you know what the scope of that is? Can you just give us an idea of what's happening out there, what people might fear, I suppose you could say, or expect? So we now have causal relationships with the growth of excess death by demographic, by country, by timing of vaccine take-up all over the world. Okay, I mean, this is, um, we now have Pfizer's own documents that show that they knew about over 1,300 categories of maladies um, as early as February 2021. We go through in the book, we have uh, a participant of the clinical trial herself that his daughter was severely injured, they knew about this and they covered it up. So it wasn't like, oops, we burnt the toast type of thing. They knew about it from before they were released to the public and they released them anyway. We have over 14,000 categories of maladies and pairs. I mean, this is everywhere. Um, Man, we don't have time to get into all the data, but I'm just going to tell you from everything we've seen, so far, several hundred thousand people in the United States have died from the shots. 
several million, I would put it, were seriously injured. Um, and that number seems to be growing because now we seem to be getting into that long-term, you know, subclinical myocarditis going kinetic um, range. Uh, globally, this is in the millions. Um, you know, just, just, I mean, Peter Doshi, just from the British Medical Journal, a co-authored a study of the Pfizer and Moderna clinical trials follow-up, all caused severe, serious adverse events of special interest among the trial participants. And they found, they found a rate of serious adverse event, which means death or hospitalization, long-term debilitation of one in 800. Okay. If you do the math, and by the way, that's just, that was just a six month follow up. You don't have all the parts after that. And that's before the boosters. And we know this is dose dependent. The more you in, uh, inject, the more, you know, problems you have. If, if you do the math of the number who got the shots, I believe 223 million in the United States, that would be 448,000 people in the U.S. and 10.6 million globally. <laughs> okay. That is a Holocaust. And this is still going on. And what I would say is part of why this is still going on is, any sane government would not just hang the people behind doing this, but you would, rather than stifling the research, you would encourage it so they could come out and warn people, hey, if you got swollen lymph nodes, which you know I know a lot of people did, here's the type of diagnostics you need. Here's the cardiac MRIs you need, the D-dimer test for microclotting. Here, go out immediately and get this, and we as a government, because we funded the wealthiest corporation ever, Needlessly, now we're going to fund um, compensation to those people and diagnostic and treatment. They're blocking it. See, Sandy, you can't treat something that you refuse to recognize exists. And that is what's so bad. It's not just in the past. It's still to this day they are censoring any journalist, doctor, anyone who wants to raise a red flag about this. And we didn't even get into the fetal maternal issues, which are just shocking. They are shocking. And that some of the military research so, showed that among active military uh, members also. I guess uh, the question that everyone asks, uh, Daniel, is why would doctors, hospitals we know got incredible financial incentives. So that explains in part why hospital corporations, which they are now, uh, went along with this. But what about doctors? What about doctors? Sure. Are you picking up any uh, disgruntled and any awakenings among the rank-and-file doctors, or are they doubling down? I mean, I think there's a minority, a strong minority, that have woken up, but there's two levels of waking up. There's, you're willing to risk your career like Dr. Malone and Peter McCullough, Ryan Cole, all those you know, frontline doctors, and I want to you know, name them because you know, I don't want to leave out anyone. There's, there's you know, maybe 50, 60 of them. But then there's those that realize it, but, you know, everyone's got to eat and they're too scared. They will lose their job. I mean, that's a big part of it, that you have this fascism at every level of the medical profession, both public, private, um, the board certification, the licensures um, to get a job in the hospitals. This is a big problem. And that's why they made examples of people. And we talk about that in the book with some of those doctors. Um, but then, then there's another level. And, and, Sandy, this is spiritual. I mean, there, there's, you cannot look at what has gone on without a spiritual dynamic. And I, I do believe that when you have a lack of good standing up to evil, Satan is able to turbocharge that and benefit from it and, yeah. and, and create a degree of success that naturally could never have occurred. Um, and the way you look at this maybe metaphysically is also just a little bit 
with, um, I mean, the power of groupthink is unbelievable. If you have everyone around you saying that this is what you do, if you don't do it, you're killing people, you're evil, this is the righteous thing to do, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and remember, now that we know the extent of the government collaboration with media, social media, tech, and certainly the medical industry at every level, um, it's not hard to understand how they created unanimity of opinion. We actually now know they had, they had um, research papers that they were conducting, by the way, before the virus allegedly uh, you know, was known about in you know, December 2019, uh, studying how to manipulate the public, how to convince people, how to use fear and shame to, to get people to do this. And that, that, that was exactly what they did during the Third Reich, except now they have much greater technology, hence the Fourth Reich. Uh, uh, Klaus Schwab calls it the Fourth Industrial Revolution. I call it the Fourth Reich. Um, it's, it's the synergistic use of technology of all global governments, not just one, and all private players uh, to make it that you basically can't escape it. Um, if you want to live a productive life and, and live in that profession, this is what you have to do. So I think what happens with a lot of these people is they know they need to do this. They know they'll lose their job. Some will roll their eyes and tell you quietly it's stupid. Others, well, you know, spiritually it's a tough position to hold that, you know, you know it's evil and wrong, but you're going along with it to, to get, keep your job. So then they start convincing themselves that, no, you know, the, the pee on your leg is really water. And, and I think there's a lot of that going on. And again, I mean, they do this, they're going to do this in other professions as well. They're going to do this with food and fuel. Um, they're not done yet. Uh, they, they are telling you exactly what their goal is. It's depopulation. It's complete control um, that you, you won't have a car. All food, fuel, and medicine will come from a centralized location, a centralized government. Um, you will have nothing other than us, and you will be happy with it. They are telling us this. I, I used to not believe it. I felt that there, <laughs> there might be a couple of lunatics, but they're, they're doing it and they succeeded. And COVID was the first step. They're not done. Yes, I, I'm the same way. When people used to talk about, you know, the, the New World Order and all the, you know, the, the, the red hat or the tinfoil hat kind of prognostications about how the world was going to be ordered by a few people in a room or whatever, I would just sort of like, oh, boy. But uh, honestly, uh, is there some other entity besides World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab? Uh, is, is, there, is that the central nervous system, or are there others? Like, is there a George Soros orbit, is, or is he part of that? How would you describe the, the, the people moving the pieces of the puzzle uh, behind sure. the scenes? So, so the bear, we touch on this a little bit at the end of the book. Um, this is going to be very disturbing to your audience, and it's been a, it's been a learning curve to me. Um, Typically, in our circles, we like to point to a finger. We, le- we like to make everything ideological. Okay, it's right versus left. So it's Hollywood, the degenerates, the greenies, Silicon Valley, the leftists, the you know, media academia, um, Bill Gates. And, and this is all true. It, they, they are tied into this. You ask about the central nervous system. The best of my ability is it's the national security apparatus. The national security, the biomedical For the United States. State. For the United States? For the United States. I mean, it, it ties into everything else, but I would say the United States. We believe this is not the China virus. This is the U.S. virus. It could have be, be that physically it was manufactured in Wuhan, but the players behind it were from the U.S., and we believe that 
more than HHS and Fauci. Fauci certainly ideologically supported this, helped get grants for it, was all for this. But at the end of the day, this is more CIA, DOD than anything else, because I'm going to remind your listeners that, you know, one of the um, one of our witnesses here is Brooke Jackson, who was one of the coordinators for a clinical trial site for Pfizer. And she blew the whistle on all the immoral things they were doing and, and fabricating data and everything. And she has a lawsuit of fraud, fraud uh, anti-fraud lawsuit in, in the, I believe, northern district of Texas. In, in the government's motion and Pfizer's motion to dismiss, they actually cite a contract they have that essentially says, look, the government allowed us to engage in fraud. And I'll tell you, they're not wrong <laughs> in their, in their uh, alibi there or their, their um, defense. <laughs> the government did. But do you know what the contract was? It wasn't with HHS. It was with DOD. And again, this ties into many, many other things. It ties into Dick Cheney, um, post 9-11. Um, they have a belief that we need to act like China and be better than China to defeat China. So you know what that means. Everything I've heard them say, I've actually, I've actually heard them say something like that. Yeah. Yes. The, admiring the control that China has over its people. Artificial intelligence, yeah. transhumanism, and this ties in, I mean, this is gene editing. Um, this ties all into, which is, this does edit your genes. That has been proven now. Um, there is no study that disproves that. Uh, the Swedish study on that um, does transcribe into your DNA. This is all this worship of destroying a human being, creating the image of God. This is coming from the Intel, National Security Apparatus. So, you know, we like to blame HHS and CDC and NIH and the Greenies and EPA. What if it's DOD, the NSA and CIA? This is really what we need to start rethinking as conservatives. All right, Daniel, you can hear the music, which it surprised me. So just your final thoughts about and any any hope at all, any hope at all from you. We have a very narrow window. On the one hand, we have a little bit of short-term alleviation from some of the broad-based restrictions. People are starting to realize that they, they were at least wrong. Now we have to strike while the iron's hot and harness that for okay. the list of changes we put out in the book, the list of policy demands at a federal and state level we could achieve, don't let the time pass, because if we don't fight back now, at some point, we will not be able to. Uh, the book is called The Rise of the Fourth Reich, and you can get it in a pre-order at trialsandexecution.com. Daniel Horowitz, thank you so much for your time this morning. Sandy Rios in the morning.